0: Welcome to Disciple-Making Mama, a podcast to encourage, inspire and equip you to make disciples in your home and in the world. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Disciple-Making Mama. As we've said very much in the beginning of this whole podcast, making disciples um, has at least two parts and has obviously plenty of parts, plenty of of aspects, but there, there is a very clear part of evangelism when we talk about making disciples to help people be born again, start a relationship with Jesus, start a new life in Christ. And then there is a continuous aspect of discipleship, a growing aspect of discipleship. We've often likened it to um, parenting, natural parenting, to the way we raise our children, that of course our children have to be born But our involvement with them does not stop there. But they have to be raised. They have to be helped along as they mature. And the goal of all of that is that they become mature, um, independent to a certain extent, people, adults, who can themselves then one day have children and go through that same process. So... Previously, we've looked a little bit more at that second aspect. How can we help people who have already been born again grow in maturity as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ? And at the moment, we're looking a little bit more at that first aspect of how can we help people be born again but as we do that, I just want us to to keep those two aspects in mind. That is, it is not either or, but it is it is both. When Jesus called us to go and make disciples, he had both. Those things in mind. And we see that also in Matthew 28, the verses 19 and 20, as Jesus gives that command to go into the world and make disciples, we see that he, he defines that a little bit more. He then says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see there is that reference to, to the beginning of the Christian life, where we get baptized But then he also goes on and he says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that is really that continuous aspect of discipleship because obviously we can't teach people to obey everything that Jesus commanded in just a short while. But that is a process, that is a a working it out practically and, yeah, so today we are going to look at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, I think, because it is such a, a key story. It is a story that has a, a great impact on most of us who are not Jews, because it is the first time that the gospel was really shared with Gentiles, with people who were non-Jews who had not been circumcised beforehand who had not converted to judaism beforehand and it is the story of god extending his salvation to them i mean it it had been extended to them but it's it's the story of of peter understanding that god's salvation had been extended to the gentiles and yeah just very exciting to to dig into that story a little bit and, as always, to see what are some timeless principles that we can take from this story, from this historic event many years ago that has an impact on us today. What principles can we take as we want to make disciples, as we want to share the gospel, as we want to help people be born again? So of course I'm talking about the story of the Roman centurion Cornelius and of Peter who through very interesting events ends up in Cornelius's house. So we find this story in Acts the chapter 10 the verses 1 to 48 and this is actually not the only time like this is the time where we really hear the story but there are other times when Peter retells the story because this is such a key event and he actually had to defend his actions and his behavior, especially towards more strict and purest Jews. So you can also go through the book of Acts and I think there are at least two more incidents where Peter actually retells the story. But we're going to look at at yeah, this passage where Luke Um, just tells us the story where it is not a defense by Peter. And we see it is quite detailed, lots of verses, 48 verses. And yeah, maybe if you want, you can just quickly pause and read them if you're not quite fresh with what is going on there. Otherwise, I'm going to try to give a a brief summary, but yeah, I'd really encourage you to go read it for yourself and maybe even glean some principles for your own disciple making that I might not even touch on. So this incident starts with two visions. Two men in two different cities are having a vision. The first man is Cornelius who we've already said was a Roman centurion so he was not a Jew he was a Gentile but he was a god-fearer he was one who already prayed regularly to the god of the Jews the creator god so there was already some some foundation of of knowledge and some foundation of relationship to God, the maker of the universe that Cornelius had. And it it did not express itself only in Cornelius praying from time to time, but it also expressed itself already in his actions that he was one who gave generously to those in need. So this Cornelius has a vision. And in this vision, an angel comes to him and says, Your generosity has come before God. God has noted your generosity, your acts of obedience towards this God whom you do not know fully yet. And this God has found them acceptable and he wants you to send for a man called Simon Peter and... This man is at this moment in Joppa, in, house of si- in the house of Simon, the tanner, a house by the sea. So isn't that kind of a very nice touch, a very nice, um, touch, a, a very nice um, thing about this vision that it's a, it's, I mean, it, it's a vision. It's a very spiritual thing. And yet it is so practical because the angel even gives Cornelius the exact address of where Peter can be found at that moment. And I think, isn't that just just like our God, that those things are not a contradiction for him? The very spiritual, the the mind-boggling thing of an angel coming to you in a vision and giving you a very exact, very real, very earthly address. And I think often we want to, to separate the practical, the mundane, the earthly from the spiritual the supernatural and yet for God I don't think there is such a strict separation and anyways that was simply where Peter was and Cornelius had to somehow get to him now as we look at at Cornelius at his relationship with God that he already had in 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 very limited ways at that stage let's let's note a few things Let's note that God was already busy with Cornelius before Peter's involvement, but God also wanted Peter's involvement. And that is a, a very important aspect when we think about evangelism. It's so easy to, to fall off one side of the horse, but God wants both those aspects. God is intimately involved in drawing people to himself. And he wants us to be very actively involved in that same thing. He wants us to be co-workers and co-operators with him when people turn to him. One example for that that my husband and I have experienced firsthand was um, before we got married, my husband spent a bit of time in Algeria. A country that is still mainly Muslim and that for many years seemed almost impossible to be reached for the gospel. But recently there has been quite a revival, or, well, quite a, I don't know if you can say revival if people have never um, known Jesus, but you know what I mean. A lot of people have become Christians among a certain people group and The amazing thing is that most of of the people that my husband was able to speak to, as in literally maybe 98% or so, had a supernatural experience with God somewhere along their journey of coming to faith, whether it be a healing, a dream, a vision. But also, all of them had a human witness, had another Christian telling them the gospel and telling them how they can respond. So there we, we just saw that cooperation of God and man in such a beautiful way. For example, the guy who was translating from my husband and the other young guys who went there was, had grown up in a, in a Muslim family, had not known anything about Jesus other than what the Quran says. And as a child, he had dreams where Jesus would, would come and talk to him and where he just fell in love with this, this person who who came and visited him in his dreams. And then years later, as an adult already, he met a Christian and that person could tell him about Jesus. And then that guy said, but, but I know who you are talking about. I I know that man from my dreams, I know Jesus from my dreams, but now you've given me uh, a fuller picture, a fuller explanation and a way to relate to this Jesus who had already introduced himself to me in a supernatural way in my dreams. So with Cornelius as well, we see this duality of God's involvement breaking into Cornelius' world in a supernatural way through this vision, but also Peter's involvement, that Peter has to somehow be connected to Cornelius and that both those aspects are necessary for Cornelius to come to faith. We also note that Cornelius didn't start at zero in his obedience and faith to God. And that is the same thing that we will often face. Sometimes people will not have any clue. I've now been living in Japan for almost five years and many people here do not have the slightest clue about anything from the Bible, anything about Jesus. And we will look at some other passages uh, later on where for example Paul goes to to very unreached people where he has to share the gospel and do evangelism in a slightly different way but very very often especially in today's globalized world especially in in very post christian countries or countries that had maybe a you know a, a christian tradition in the past or even some uh, a significant christian presence in in the here and now, we will see that people already have some foundation, some idea of God, and pr- probably even already some way of, to God. And we see that in Cornelius. We, we, we see he's already praying, he's already obeying God, he's already giving to the poor. That is one, one way in which he's obeying God. And often people will evangelize will will already seek God and also already relate to God in some way they they might already pray they might already obey to some degree And as we evangelize as we share the good news with them and try to to give them a more full picture of the gospel and of the reality of Jesus and of salvation, we can build on what is already there. For example, I have a friend who's from Germany and she is a Russian-German. So I'm not going to go into all the history of Russian-German, but they're a very specific um, group in Germany and they have a very strong um, heritage, religious heritage. But this particular friend does not know Jesus personally. She does not have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. But she has a lot of religious ideas about Jesus that were given to her mainly from her grandparents. She would um, sometimes go to a church service. She would sometimes pray. So there's definitely something there already. And her idea of God is very much the idea of God is the God of the Bible, although she might know very little about God of the Bible. And we see the same in Cornelius, that he does not have some vague idea of God, but he thinks, no, this God of the Jews that I am praying to, he is God, but he just doesn't fully know him yet. And yeah, I I think what we just have to keep in mind here is that those people who already have this foundational idea about God, who already have a, a certain God grid that is not wrong, where they already know some truths of the Bible, some aspects of the Christian life, those kind of people will will need a, a slightly different way of of being told the good news than maybe somebody who who does not have any God great yet, who does not know anything about um, yeah, the creator God of the Bible yet. And here we we also need a lot of discernment and wisdom. And again, I, I think um, <laughs> there are no recipes. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit leading us in our conversations with those people, those friends around us who already have this this certain idea of God and certain way of relating to God, and that we might know what can we wholeheartedly affirm. For example, it was a wonderful thing that Cornelius was already praying, he was already giving to the poor, he was already fearing God. Those are things that can be affirmed. Speaking of my of my Russian German friend, there are certain things that I can wholeheartedly affirm that she has a, a very clear idea of God's holiness, that she has a, a great respect to the towards the Bible, for example, that she knows that we can pray to God anywhere and everywhere and in every situation. And those are things that I can wholeheartedly affirm and build on as I'm sharing more of the good news with her. But there are also things that need to be corrected or where those people need a a more full picture of God and of the good news. And here we have to be very careful that we don't mistake somebody for a believer because they already have certain attributes that believers would have like Cornelius for example he was praying he was obeying some of God's commandments he was fearing God so maybe some people today would have said no but Cornelius is actually a Christian you know why why bother him Peter (laughs) you know but that is not doing him a favor those people still need to hear the full gospel they have to be told the ways of God more completely. Later in the book of Acts, we see another man who already had a quite an understanding of God. His name was Apollos, but he did not understand how, how God was saving people. And, and then there was another couple of Christians, Priscilla and Aquila, who took him in and explained the way of salvation more completely. To him and that is what we have to keep in mind. people really need to be explained the way of salvation completely. We're not doing people a favor if we leave them in their um, in their great attempts to relate to a God whom they have not fully met yet. but yeah, we can build on what is there, but we have to add we have to give them the full, picture. And this is what God intends to do with Cornelius, as we shall see. Because Cornelius is not the only man who has a vision, Peter, a fair distance away, also has a vision. He sees a cloth with with unclean animals. So as we know, the Jews um, were told by God that there are certain animals that are unclean, that he did not want them to eat. And in this vision, Peter now sees all these unclean animals and he hears a voice that says, take and eat. I'll not go into great detail about what craziness this was for a good Jew. There, There are many excellent sermons and teachings about this so if you're interested in this if you're interested in but what is what is so mind-boggling what is so revolutionary about this vision then I want to encourage you just go and research a little bit about this topic but this is very very clearly a vision that challenges Peter's worldview to the core and yeah <laughs> here's our challenge are we ready to be challenged in our worldview to the core by God? I think the, the the obvious question if we if we try to to glean principles from this for ourselves is but how would I be able to know if say I have a vision like that that, that just seems to to turn everything that I that I know about God's will and God's commandments if around. If I have a vision like that, how can I know that this is really God? And and also just in general, I think a lot of people are wondering if if I have a vision or a dream or or even an just an impression, a thought thought that I think might be the voice of God. How can I know that this is really God? In general, there are three um, testers that we can use when it comes to to a dream or a vision or a word or an impression that we sense coming from God. But I'm already going to warn you, those three testers actually cannot really be applied to this situation. But I think it is very good to to still use them as a foundation when we ourselves are trying to discern the voice of God. So this is generally. Generally, we can ask ourselves when, for example, we have a, a dream where we sense God is telling us something, is this in accordance with Scripture? And often it's, we won't be able to find one specific Bible verse that, that now specifically says, yes, this dream was really from God because, um, yeah, (laughs) I guess that's just not how it works. But, um, is it in accordance with the, you know, the general message of the Bible, the the character of god as revealed in the bible is it in accordance with what god says in other places because god is not going to contradict himself we might the, it seemed to peter that god was contradicting himself here but yeah sometimes we we just lack the bigger picture so if something is clearly contradicting what some something that was clearly stated in the word of God, then let's be very, very careful to claim that this is um, the voice of God. For example, um, if somebody claims, God spoke to me in a dream, I must divorce my wife. That is clearly in contradiction to God's will as revealed in the Bible, that is clearly a contradiction to very clear commandments that God gives in the Bible. That's in contradiction to God's character as revealed in the Bible. So this is probably not going to be, this is certainly not going to be the voice of God. Secondly, um, if if this first tester was kind of a confirmed and, and we can say yes, I think this dream or this vision or this thought is is in general accordance with, with God's will and ways as revealed in the Bible. We can also test: is it in accordance with what the Church has generally held true historically and presently? And here I want to be very careful because. When I say the church, I do not mean the institution of the church. I think sadly because of of politics in the church, because of various um, dynamics in the institutional church, the institutional church has, has very often been misled in many things. But when I speak about the church, I mean people throughout the centuries who have humbly, honestly been eager to obey God to know God did they think this this thing this this principle whatever that that I've now dreamed about or so would that be in accordance with what they would feel um, comfortable with what they would feel is true and from God and then thirdly is it in accordance with what godly people around you sense and would hold for true? So those are three foundational testers. If you have a vision, if you have a dream, if you hear a prophecy, to test, is this the voice of God? And we're, we're commanded in the Bible to, to test those things, to test prophecy and to not simply accept blindly. But we see that in this case, these testers don't really work. And that is also one reason, I think, why it was so mind boggling and revolutionary and confusing to Peter and to the m- people that he had to explain this to later on. This reminds me a little bit of a dream that I had more than a year ago. It was a dream when that. When I woke up, I, I very clearly sensed this was God speaking to me, but it was also very confusing and very mind-boggling because in this dream, I dreamt that I was married. I was not married actually to to my real husband and it, it was also, I was not me, kind of, if that makes sense. It was almost like I was watching a movie about somebody who was married to their husband and then, they, they should get divorced. That like it in the dream it was kind of very clear. It is a good thing to get divorced from that husband. And then later, the woman in that dream was just so in love again with her husband, but not. Um, not married to him, not like legally, officially, kind of, you know, institutionally bound to him. And it was a very confusing dream because if I look at all those, you know, (laughs) things and all those gestures that I've just shared with you, it is, you know, I would have to say, my goodness, this this cannot be from God because God hates divorce. God would not want a real couple to be divorced and then just live together, you know, without the, the bondage and, and burden of, um, an institutionally, um, formalized relationship. So what, what was I supposed to do with this dream? (laughs) And, um, I, um, yeah, I, I just as with Peter, the the dream did not mean in a way what at at first sight it might have meant. And that is where we just need the Holy Spirit to really help us to, to discern things. I've recently listened to a great sermon by a preacher who, who recently sadly died. His name is David Pawson, and I think in another podcast I already mentioned him as somebody who's really a great Bible teacher and, um, yeah, that I can just fully recommend that you listen to to his messages. They're available for free online. He has a huge um, online library of sermons about every imaginable topic (laughs) and specifically about the Bible and the being born again. Those are, those are really kind of his, his specialities and I can fully recommend him and his messages to you. Anyways, he's, he gave three more testers of how we can tell and how we can interpret um, whether a dream or a vision or a prophecy is from God. And also very specifically in relation with this um, story of Peter and Cornelius. So the the first tester is can you can you actually remember can you remember the dream can you remember the prophecy can you remember the picture or the impression that God gave you? Sometimes I have a dream and it is just a, a mess and it is you know five minutes after waking up I cannot remember it anymore, but. The few times that I have had dreams that I could later very clearly say, yes, that was God speaking to me, I was able to remember those dreams very clearly. And David Pawson also says that that is one, it is not, you know, definitive. Oh yeah, if you can remember a dream, surely it is from God. But if God gives you a dream and he wants to tell you something through the dream. He's going to make you remember it. So if you afterwards have to have to kind of fill in the blanks and say, oh, but then I think this happened in the dream and I don't quite remember, but it would make sense if then that and that happened, then be careful that you don't add to your dream, that you don't um, make something a message from God that is actually not. Secondly, David, Pawson says uh, an, another great way of, of testing if, if a dream or a vision is really from God is to to then look at, at your life in the next few days and weeks and look, does God allow things in your life that are outside of your control to happen, to confirm what he seemed to have told you in that dream or vision? So in Peter's case, we see... Peter has this vision, he's shown those unclean animals, a voice says, take and eat. And Peter says, I could never, God, because they are unclean. And lo and behold, within moments, something completely outside of Peter's control happens. And he uh, and those people sent by Cornelius are at his door and ask him to come to Cornelius's house. And God says to him, go with them. And again, we we, we see like Peter just had that vision of something unclean being shown to him and him being told, eat them, although they're unclean. And then something in, in reality, in the physical reality happens that seems unclean to Peter because it was an unclean thing for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house. And yet... It, it lines up with the vision and it is almost like um, the, these things happening in the physical reality are building on what um, Peter was already shown in in the spiritual reality. I hope that is making sense. Um, in my case, with, with my dream, after after I had that dream, a lot of things started, um, God started speaking to us a lot about um about church, about disciple making, um, many things happen in our in our personal lives that I'm I'm not gonna go into too great detail because it also involves other people, but I could definitely see um, God is is letting you know things are happening in my life that are outside of my control that are taking me out of a a situation where I am very formally and institutionally bound and in our case that was that we were with we we still are but (laughs) um we are my goodness now I'm, (laughs) I'm not sure how much I should share but um as I've told you in in my introduction, my husband and I have been with a Christian missions organization for eight years, but now we're we're leaving that missions organization because we we clearly feel that God has been, um, leading us in that way to um be less formal and institutional missionaries, but um to to be disciple makers in a more informal way. In the workplace, and that was what, for in in my case, this dream ended up um, being one brick of confirmation of in a whole wall of confirmations, if that makes sense. Um, to to move out of that um, very, shall I say, formal um, relationship of between me and God in, you know, God kind of being my boss in this um, missions organizations context um, and to, to return to a more intimate relationship with God and out of that a more intimate, personal, um, less formal, less um, programmatic way of making disciples. But, yeah, that was that does not mean that missions organizations are bad in general, or so that was really how God was leading us specifically. So that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to to share too many details because this was really, yeah, God's way with us <laughs> if you are with a missions organization. and God wants you there. I am very, very happy for you and really wholeheartedly support you and we're very thankful for the eight years that we were with the Missions Organization. Okay, the third tester that um, David Pawson mentions is, does God explain the meaning of the vision or dream through subsequent events or through speaking to you specifically? In Peter's case, when, when he saw that God revealed himself to the Gentile, Gentiles and granted them repentance and even filled them with the Holy Spirit, the vision made sense to him. And it's almost more that in looking back, he could say, oh, Yes, now I understand that vision. And now I see that God has been preparing me. But also in hindsight, I can now see that vision. As a confirmation, so Peter didn't didn't sit there on the roof and think, "Hmm, what could this mean? Let me come up with uh, an interpretation of this vision." But as life unfolded, God gave him an interpretation, an explanation of that vision, and in 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 my case. It was when when certain events and, and certain godly and trusted counsel and God's continued guidance led us to leave the missions organization, something that would have felt as wrong as a divorce at other times and something that was also like a divorce very very painful and very sad. But when when those events unfolded, the dream made sense to me and served as an encouragement that God was, in this process and that it it would also lead us back into a more intimate relationship with God i hope this is this is helpful if if you kind of can't make sense of of my part in all of this then please just forget about it <laughs> um yeah just one last note before i i get off this long rabbit trail of how can we discern the voice of God for if we have a vision or a dream or we hear we hear God's voice in our in our spirits or even audibly um, practice hearing the voice of God sometimes we can um, we can feel like oh it is it, it must just happen to us. Um, that, you know, discernment just happens to us. But I think discernment, like many, many things in the Christian faith, is also something that we can practice. And we can practice it, number one, by really immersing ourselves in the Word of God and knowing God's voice from His Word, so that when we have a vision, a prophecy, a dream, we already know the voice of our good shepherd because we've been exposing ourselves to his voice in his word so much. But then also, I want to encourage you to very practically ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you so that you can train yourself in in hearing his voice, that you can know, huh, this is this is what it sounds like. This is what it feels like. This is the kind of things the Holy Spirit would, would be saying to me. And a very practical way in which I, I have in the past, and I'm, I'm not currently doing this at the moment, because it's also it's not a, it's not a mechanical thing. But at some stage, I, I really felt like I want to, I want to be more guided by, by the specific voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to, to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit more. So every morning as I woke up, I would ask the Holy Spirit, please, please give me a word of, of guidance, a word of direction, a word of, you know, what is your purpose for this day? And it was a very faith-building experience for me, because often I would a, a word would come into my mind that would at that time maybe seem a little bit odd. But then, as I went through the day, I would see ha huh, yes this this makes sense," and it helped me grow in my ability to hear the Holy Spirit and to discern the holy Spirit, and sometimes it would i i would also you know at the end of the day i would kind of have to admit to myself i don't think i heard th- i heard this word from god i think that was somehow me that was maybe my my ambition getting into the way that was maybe my to do list getting into the way of actually um hearing and discerning what would god actually wanted to say to me so i want to encourage you to to take those kind of shall I say, low-risk situations um, where where there's not a lot to lose, where there's not a lot of, of danger of harming yourself or other people if you kind of mishear God in this situation. Um, yeah, just practice hearing the voice of God. I remember very specifically one, one time that I did this. I asked the, the Lord, you know, today, Lord, what what is on your agenda for me today? And I heard the word rest. And it was a very busy week. My husband was out of town. And I I thought, oh, there, there are a million things that I have to get done and blah, 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 blah. I thought, oh, rest is now really the last thing, you know, that I had planned. It was in the middle of the week. But then I thought, no, well, I, I want to discern the voice of God. And if God tells me to rest today, then I better rest. So um, I took the day off as much as a mom can take the day off. And it was only Fuka at that stage. Fuca and I went to a park. We enjoyed a beautiful sunny day. It was just a, a great refreshing day. And later I saw that that whole week was gloomy, rainy, kind of, you know, not the kind of weather where you want to take a baby out and have a fun day of rest in the park. But but God knew that I needed to use that one sunny day in that week to just rest and enjoy him and then later get all my work done on those gloomy, rainy days. So, Okay. Let me return for my long <laughs> long excursion into this topic. I do hope and pray that all my all my talking here is is somehow helping you. <laughs> Good. back to Peter. and some principles for evangelism that we can glean from this passage. A quick summary of what happens further after Peter and Cornelius had their, um, respective visions, and Peter sends men. Uh, sorry, Cornelius sends men to Peter to go and get him. Peter joins those unclean Gentiles. He enters the unclean house of Cornelius and preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household and his friends that are gathered there, ready to hear. And as Peter is preaching to them. The Holy Spirit fills the whole household, fills everybody that's there. They start praising God, speaking in tongues. And Peter says, wow, God is, you know, God is coming and filling these people. God is um, confirming his acceptance of these people. Let's baptize them. Let's, you know, help them to be fully born again, members of God's family. So that is what happened. Now let's quickly, briefly, just for the end of of today's um, session, look at our usual questions that we look at when we we look at those passages about um, evangelism in the book of Acts. Our four questions, just a quick recap, were, what did people hear or see? Were there any miracles? Number two, how long and how detailed is the evangelistic message? Number three, what are the main points of the evangelistic message? And number four, what response was expected or given to the evangelistic message? So number one, what did people hear or see? We've already gone into that um, in quite a bit of detail. God gave two visions of, um, yeah, that, that prepared people for this, but then people also heard it, it wasn't only the visions, but then people heard Peter preach about Jesus. Okay. Secondly, how long and how detailed is the evangelistic message? And this message is quite long and detailed. And um, and yet let's note that it it does not start with with creation, for example, um, where later we see Paul sharing with people who do not have any, any God grid yet. Um, he starts with creation, introducing God as the creator God. But that was already something that Cornelius knew. So Peter does not start here. Peter also doesn't do the same thing as he did when he was preaching to the Jews on the day of Pentecost that we looked at a few weeks ago. Where he explained in great detail, you know, God sent all the prophets, and even um, Joel testified about this, and David prophesied about this. He does not share that with this group of people because they're not Jews. They're not. They are Gentiles. They don't know the Jewish scripture so well. It doesn't mean so much to them that that God sent all the prophets, but with this group of people. Uh, Peter is really majoring on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what we see then in response to our third question. What are the main points of the evangelistic message? We see Jesus is the main point of the evangelistic message. And that is a, a really good challenge for us. Jesus must be at the center when we share the good news. Because without Jesus, there is no good news. And if, if we share the gospel and Jesus is not the, the main focus, then, then we are a little bit off. And especially when we speak to people who already have some, some religious grid about Christianity. It is Jesus. That they must have a relationship to. It is Jesus, who, through whose death and resurrection, they they must, you know, have gain new life. So we see that Jesus, uh, that Peter, talks about Jesus having been killed and raised after three days. This is a very important aspect when we when we share the gospel, when we share about Jesus, Jesus was killed and raised after three days. Peter shares that there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus alone. He also shares that Jesus had authority over evil spirits and over, you know, that the dark spiritual side when he was on earth. And he shares that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, and that all the prophets testified about Jesus. So that is that is very interesting if you would were to, you know, introduce somebody to Jesus, would those points be the ones that you would be sharing. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus has authority and power over the dark spiritual realm and there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Okay and then fourthly what what response was there to this message that Peter gave and this response is is exciting and amazing because already as Peter was sharing the good news about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on people and they started speaking in tongues and praising God. And this reminds me of um, one of the ladies that our team was um, doing Discovery Bible study with. Um, And she, she was, you know, in the process of hearing about Jesus, just as this group of people were in the process of hearing about Jesus when the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them and baptized them, however you want to call it. And so this lady, my son, was um, doing regular Bible studies, um, drawing closer to Jesus, growing in her understanding of Jesus, growing in obedience towards Jesus. And then at some stage, our friend, um explained to her how to be born again and you know that you must repent towards God, that yeah, she must put her faith in Jesus, that being baptized in water is part of being born again and then also that being filled with the Holy Spirit is part of being born again and that this being filled with the Holy Spirit often expresses itself in becoming able to pray in another language that we don't understand, but a spiritual language where our spirit can directly communicate with the spirit of God. And when our friend shared this with my son, she stared at him and she said, Oh my goodness, I am so relieved that you're, you're mentioning this last point. And our friend said, Oh, why why is that? She said, "I, I was so afraid that something was wrong with me because a while ago I was I was praying to God and as I was praying suddenly this other language came out of my mouth that, that I didn't understand, but it kind of felt like you know it, it felt good, it felt like it's 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 drawing me closer to God, but I did not know what to do with this. And it was really like in the household of Cornelius, that as she was still hearing about Jesus, the Holy Spirit was already filling her. And then within days of that um, conversation, she then also got baptized after going through some some more conversations about repentance and really um, straightening out her life to, yeah, become aligned in obedience to Jesus. So, yeah, this still happens today sometimes. Um, and yeah, exactly. So, the, and then Peter's response to to the Gentiles being filled with the Holy Spirit and there being a joyful noise of them praising God and speaking in tongues. Peter was like, "Whoa, now we can't withhold baptism from them. Let's baptize them." So we see in those in this Gentile household, and and here's an, another just a, a brief thing that I want to mention we see Peter is not only sharing the gospel with Cornelius, right? It was Cornelius who had already invited his whole household and then Peter seizing this opportunity to share the gospel with the whole household. So wherever that is possible, let's also try to use this principle in our own evangelism that it, it can be such a, uh, a fruitful thing, shall I say, to to share the gospel with a with a whole social group, and help them to respond to the gospel together, and not just say, Oh, here's this one person in the family who's interested in God, and now I'm sitting in their living room, and the conversation takes a spiritual turn but, well, let me take that one person out and let's continue our spiritual conversation in the kitchen. But no, use the opportunity to then share the good news with that whole living room, just as Peter did, then also share the gospel with this whole household and then they could all respond to the gospel. That just as an aside. Um, Let's quickly look a little bit more at the response to the preaching of the gospel, as we saw when we spoke about faith in the last episode, faith was obviously the the undergirding force in Cornelius's behavior during this whole incident, but then also in his being born again and turning to God. We see that he had uh, a historic. Faith that was then also strengthened through Peter, who told him, You know, I have, I know this Jesus that I'm talking about. I saw him when he was raised from the dead. We see a a personal faith already at work in him, we see a practical faith at work in him. And then, as Peter preached, and Cornelius and his household understood more, got the big picture, they could then fully put their faith in Jesus, the one who forgives sins, the one who is appointed as judge over the living and the dead, the one who's powerful spiritually. We also see that there already had been repentance, so rethinking towards active godly living. And it's very interesting that although in, in this passage repentance is not mentioned specifically later when um, Peter defends why he, why he baptized the Gentiles and why he now considers them brothers and Christians. He says God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. So we see also here among this group of people repentance plays a, a crucial role Part and central part in their being born again. And then we see that the infilling of the Holy Spirit was considered a sign of their acceptance by God. And we see that in this case, it was very clearly visible that the Holy Spirit had filled them. They were speaking in tongues, they were praising God. And then lastly, we see that that Peter did not consider their their new birth complete by those three things. He didn't say, oh great, now they have faith, they have repented, even the Holy Spirit has only already filled them. They are, you know, they're born again, they're ready to go. But he says, now let's baptize them. Baptism was still necessary, although God had already confirmed his acceptance to them through the infilling of his spirit. And that is, the topic that we're going to talk uh, in a lot more detail in the next episode, baptism. It's sadly a very controversial topic, and yet it is a very central topic to being born again. And we want to just look at the Bible. What does the Bible say about baptism? Um, When should it happen? How should it happen? What, What happens when we are baptized? and why is it important for being born again so yeah i am looking forward to that and i hope you have a wonderful week until we talk again bye bye